The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to the Gotham City Gazette, a PapiChuloRadio.com original series. PapiChulo Radio, celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is February 1st, 2021, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's Batwoman. Please welcome my co-hosts, Millie Wood. Hello, Gotham. And Professor X. Hello, Gotham. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 2, Episode 3, which was titled Batgirl Magic! and aired January 31st, 2021. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. As Ryan Wilder continues to prove herself as Batwoman, she encounters the challenge of every superhero living a double life. Mary is still Team Ryan, while Luke continues to have reservations, especially when Ryan makes some alterations and unveils a new Batsuit. Meanwhile, Victor Zaz is slashing his way through the city streets, and Commander Kane has the Crows trying to stop the flow of snakebite through Gotham. Sophia takes notice of Alice's antics, and Sophie finds herself in unexpected circumstances. Dun dun dun. Let's check in on the ratings for season two, episode three. Batwoman was viewed by 717k total viewers. With a point two in the demo, it had a slight uptick in total viewers and was steady in the demo. So okay, let's get into this. Let's dive right in. So much happened in this episode. Uh, so a lot of um, sort of forward movement with Ryan Wilder sort of being embraced by our Bat Scoobies. We had a little bit of a glimmer of hope somewhere, and this was uh, Sophia's uh, introduction, as well as uh, the appearance of a, uh, I guess he is fan favorite, maybe, DC villain. Let's talk about let's let's go in and talk about Victor Zaz and how he was used because when people found out he was coming on the show, they all were really excited, and it seemed like he was relegated to just the villain of the week. And I am curious. I don't know if we have hardcore DC files here, but uh, were we disappointed that Victor Zaz was sort of used kind of as a villain of the week, or do we think he will? Return and what did we think of this interpretation of Zaz? I think the most recent interpretation was on the big screen with uh, Birds of Prey, and then on the small screen it was over on Gotham. Professor, Zaz it up. Well, um, full disclosure, Victor Zaz has never been a favorite character of mine. I've always thought of him as an extremely minor um, Batman villain. 
Uh, you know, he didn't really have anything interesting going for him aside from the whole he's a serial killer who, you know, marks himself up after he kills someone. But I've always otherwise found him very bland and colorless. And he's usually, you know, drawn in that way as well, making him, you know, uh, mocking and funny and, you know, seeing where he lived, you know, that, you know, he's he's guys who, uh, who's who's enjoying his life and having a lot of fun. And, you know, you know, do what you love and you never work a day in your life, as the saying goes. Um, so I really, really did like this interpretation. And um, I'm, I'm really hoping he's not just a baddie of the week. Um, you know, I'm hoping he gets broken out or, you know, uh, something so that, you know, he can come back. I just found him so much fun. And I thought he had a great dynamic uh, with Ryan. So, yeah, it's it's not very comic book accurate. Uh, his portrayal, uh, but yeah, just it was it was such a refreshing take on the character that I really enjoyed it. Very interesting, Millie. What about you? What did you think of Zaz? I co-signed with the professor. I thought he was a very fun villain. Um, I don't have any comic knowledge, and so whatever I saw was on the screen, and I really liked it. I thought uh, it was very creepy when he you know puts his tally marks on, but I guess that's you know a good creep. And I really like the dynamic he has both with Ryan as Batwoman and then with Ryan. Um, and I also hope he isn't just a one-time thing because I think he he is very interesting and the conversations he had with the character I think a lot of wheels were turning and I like kind of what he brought up uh when they did have this conversation so I think he's fun it would be fun to see him just like kind of come back just like a reoccurring uh, like sore in there um back or whatever the saying is yes a reoccurring sore in the back is exactly what that saying is is it I liked it though I hope it becomes a thing Millie Wood, trendsetter. I like it. Oh, I try. Okay, good. I, I liked him, too. I, I thought he was a fun villain, uh, certainly a different kind of villain than we've seen on Batwoman, and I'm open to him returning as well, hopefully. Um, yeah, he certainly made his mark, and uh, yeah, I, I would not be surprised if he shows up again. I think that'll be really interesting. So, throughout this episode, Ryan... We've seen her in the previous two episodes struggling with the suits, which makes sense. I mean, it's not her suit. It hasn't, it, I mean, even, even though she fits in it, it isn't really her suit and she hasn't figured out all the, you know, this and that or the other about it. So in this episode, especially because Zaz basically says, oh, you know, are you the, the backup? Are you, you know, the, um, you know, the sort of like the, the sidekick that's now all of a sudden the day player? Uh, you know, this isn't really you and this, that, or the other. And, and that kind of gets into Ryan's head. And to be quite honest, I kind of feel like that was already there to begin with. Like, I think, I think Zaz just would have pulled it out. And so this episode marks the, de- the debut of Ryan's iteration of the bat suits. Now, whether we'll believe that she actually did it herself, I guess we're supposed to because that's what we're told. But she sort of zhuzhes it up. She even uh, changes the wig and everything. And by the end of the episode, uh, we have a a brand new Batwoman that even Vesper Fairchild uh, confirms, in essence, with her um, voiceover. Millie, what did you think of the suit? What did you think of the alterations? What did you think of the look? I liked it, and I do like the they worked it in because it makes sense, you know, what worked for Kate would not work for Ryan. And I personally wasn't the biggest fan of the red wig, so I do like how they kind of did away with that and so had, like, the little red highlights and still pay homage to that. I thought it looked really cool. I agree. Questionable if, if she did it on her own, but it still looks pretty awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. Professor, what about you? What did you think of uh, the new suit as well as uh, the return of, of Vesper again? 
Uh, I thought the new suit looked great. Wasn't Vesper in last week? She was, but it, I was surprised that we got her again this week. Maybe it's because we didn't get her in the um, in the season premiere. I, I'm just, yeah, I, mean, I was excited she, that she's back. There, and I was thinking, does that mean Vesper died as well? Oh my um, god. But uh, no, I, I thought it was good to bring her in as the uh, the sort of the Greek chorus as well. I love the new suit, love the new hair. Uh, it's interesting. It, it didn't strike me as being that big a deal. I mean, the hair was comic book accurate. And it's what works in a comic book doesn't always work, you know, in the real world. Uh, but, you know, watching some interviews uh, with the, the showrunner and the actors, um, you know, they did talk about the idea that, you know, you know, uh, hair among black women is an important thing. And, you know, so presenting her in a more naturalistic way. Uh, and as you say, just having a little, you know, flashes of red in there are nice. The whole idea behind the wig is that it's supposed to, you know, look like it's, you know, Batwoman's real hair. So that people will be looking for a, you know, tall redhead. But, you know, obviously that wouldn't be the case uh, with uh, uh, with Ryan. So uh, it makes more sense for it to look this way. But, yeah, I think the whole suit really does look very good. Uh, you know, and it's it's she's made it her own without having to completely, you know, I don't think the suit was changed all that significantly, you know, in terms of, you know, color or markings or anything like that. But it just it looks different and it looks like her now. And I think that's that's a good step going forward, I think. You know, I talked last season about the the shadow of the bat, you know, which is Batman hanging over it, and my mm -hmm. concern that you know the the shadow of Kate Kane would hang over this uh, uh, this season in the same way, and uh, you know, sort of rebranding her, giving her her own look and her own take on it, I think is a good step towards allowing Ryan to actually be Batwoman. We'll be talking about Kate's shadow a little bit later, because there is still a shadow. But before we get there, let's talk about Mary and Luke. Uh, Millie, let's, let's talk about Mary, because we got the answer to something that I know you and I chatted about in the last podcast. And in general, we've sort of discussed it, sort of assuming stuff about Mary after her mother passed. So Mary and Hamilton Dynamics, you know, we sort of... We were looking forward to, I remember, um, when uh, when her mom died, of like maybe Mary taking, taking on a uh, leadership role in Hamilton Dynamics because she would be the heiress of Hamilton Dynamics. And this, that, and the other. Maybe we'll see her on the board. We'll see her doing good things with Hamilton Dynamics. And then it was a little strange that her relationship seemed strained in the previous episode. And so we got the answer in this episode. She had sold all her shares of Hamilton Dynamics. She doesn't really have that great of a relationship with the board, period. And she's kind of like a multi-billionaire. Did you like getting that this little bit of information about Mary Millie? I did. I was like, oh, I'm glad they remembered. <laughs> she had some connection to them. Um, I was a little shocked. I mean, obviously, for storytelling reasons, that like, she's like, oh, yeah, like I sold them last year. I'm like, you think that would have come up sometime last season, but I'm glad we finally did get that resolution. Um, it is a little interesting that they went that route, but it makes sense. I mean, she's a med student and she wasn't really into the business. Um, so I guess it's kind of nice to tie that up. It does kind of present an idea where now Hamilton Dynamics can be this like evil corporation that they try to go against. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think it sets up for, for a really interesting story now, especially since she seems to have uh, not the best relationship with the company. I don't know. Maybe eventually we'll have someone be an insider or something like that that will help her out. But uh, it, was great to s it was great to get that little bit of information. And on the opposite side of the coin with Luke, our other Scooby, Luke in this episode finally came around to Ryan. And uh, he came around to her, I would say probably because of two different things in this episode. Number one, sort of really seeing Ryan 
continue to prove herself. But number two, I think it was that really important conversation that he had with Mary, where basically Mary is like, well, Luke was like, you know, why are you sort of, you know, being this way with Ryan? You know, she's just the temp in essence. Uh, Kate's going to be back. And he realizes that Mary has come to uh, the the point in, in acceptance that Kate probably isn't going to be returning. So at the end of the episode, Luke, uh, you know, in essence, approves of the changes to the bat suit. And uh, there was this sort of thing earlier in the episode about the batarangs. Uh, we learned actually how much they cost and that there weren't that many. But uh, he had some new batarangs made. I believe the color was also a, l a little bit different. It's sort of like matching that bolder red that she implemented on, on the suit. And in essence, this was like sort of like a, a, a peace type of thing. He even apologizes to Ryan about how he's been acting. Professor, what did you think of Luke's character development uh, throughout this episode? And just uh, his, his general sass at a certain point and the, the subtle shade that he was throwing, or maybe not so subtle shade that he was throwing to Ryan uh, before he ended up sort of accepting her with open arms as uh, the new Batwoman. Uh, I thought it was quite well done. You know, it, it made sense. Um, you know, uh, Luke isn't the sort of person, you know, you can see how he's still dealing with, you know, uh, grief and guilt from his father's death. Um, so, you know, feeling that, you know, you know, if there was some way he could have saved Kate or having lost someone else close to him, you can understand why he would be reluctant to allow anyone in. Whereas one could argue that Mary, having lost so many people close to her, um, you know, and also as a doctor who deals with death on a daily basis, you know, might be able to get over it a bit easier than he could. Um, but I think they played it about exactly the right length of time. I think if, if it had been, you know, sort of the sort of thing they stretch out over, you know, five or six episodes, it would have been way too long. Uh, three episodes is enough for him to go through basically, you know, dabda, denial, uh, anger, bargaining, depression acceptance uh regarding uh, kate's loss so by the end of this episode he was at acceptance he's accepted ryan he'll be there helping her out um you know i'm sure he'll still be occasionally salty in the earpiece with her uh which i liked and you know i, I love the uh, the dynamic they have because that was you know a big part of the dynamic that he had with kate as well being the sort of smart ass guy in the chair and uh, i think as he gets to like ryan more and get more comfortable with her uh, I think he'll be, uh, he'll, you know, that uh, that interplay will come. But I agree with you that, yeah, it was, you know, something that really of the characters in the show, only Mary could have had that talk with him and only Mary could have, you know, brought him around because he really doesn't have that other connection character. You know, the only other main character he had a connection with was Kate. Mm -hmm. Very true. Very true. Teeny tiny little plot point that we were introduced to in this episode. It was the fact that Ryan is now working at the holdup as a manager, which uh, kind of uh, happened uh, because uh, Ryan's uh, that that's her parole officer, correct? Yeah, um, she she was basically demanding that Ryan get a job, and so Ryan sort of uh, said stuff before getting the okay from Mary, but Mary ended up giving the okay. And uh, we got a lot of scenes with Ryan and uh, her parole officer, and uh, we we learned uh, that the parole officer is a fan of Batwoman, which uh, was just interesting. Uh, I don't know if either of you have anything to say about that 
tiny storyline, but I at least wanted to mention it because it it was something in the episode, and uh, I, I I like that that we keep on seeing that lady, and uh, I I do wonder if. I hope that they don't, but if, if Ryan ends up telling her that she's Batwoman to sort of get the lady to cool off. I hope not. I agree with you on that. Um, one thing about that, you know, I, I think it's 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 good to have that sort of, you know, it's it's a reminder of the the toughness that Ryan's facing in her mm-hmm. life. It was funny after the first scene with her PO, my my immediate thought was, well, wait a second, why don't you just get her a job working, you know, for you know one of the the Kate Kane businesses or something like that? And sure enough, they did that in the next scene. Um, what I loved about it was something I found out afterwards, which is that uh, when Mary's on the phone uh, talking to the parole officer and says she hired her because of her skills in slicing fruit, apparently that was an ad lib just something uh that uh, the actress made up uh to, oh, uh, to have set. that's funny because that line was so weird and and comical and it's i love that it was an ad lib because it makes it even funnier so let's talk about coriana we are introduced to the to this land this i don't know what coriana is it's an island i guess well whatever coriana is this country uh, this location, we we'd heard about it. Uh, we heard about it because of the Desert Rose from the previous season that uh, returned in the previous episode, and uh, we are introduced to it because uh, Alice and Sophie are kidnapped by Tatiana, aka Sophia's henchwoman. They're taken to Coriana. And uh, Alice has a plan because uh, she remember she got the note that said you're welcome about the Kate Kane situation. So she believes that Sophia is the person behind killing Kate. So there's a lot that happens here. We get some brand new information before we even talk about the information and uh, everything that we sort of learned. I want to talk about Sophia and Tatiana as characters, because I feel like we will be seeing a lot more of them. Uh, we were introduced to Tatiana in the previous episode, very briefly, when uh, she held up a sword to Sophie. This time we got a lot more of Tatiana uh, conversing with Sophie, and we were introduced to, officially, Sophia in all of her majesty, or whatever we want to say. Millie, what'd you think of both of them, Tatiana and Sophia? Did Sophia live up to the hype? I think so. I was surprised. I don't know. I I, I imagine Sophia to be some kind of like crazy looking person. Um, she's, okay. <laughs> she's a lot less crazy looking, and I think that kind of works for her because you can tell she's very like cunning, and she has you know twenty steps ahead. She has plans and everything like that. Um, and she's very unassuming, so I kind of think it fits her really well. Um, and I, I like what we saw, I like her interaction with Alice, I'm kind of interested to see more of her story and, and what she does. Um, Tatiana was interesting because of her pair up with Sophie and the fact that she was on babysitting duty. I thought that conversation was really like, why are you stuck on babysitting duties? I wonder if that's a setup um, for Tatiana to kind of go off the rails down the road. So it's, it's interesting that she's one of the few that we actually saw on the islands. I feel like she has, she's got some importance. Ah, very interesting. I like the sound of that. Professor, what about you? What do you think of Tatiana and Sophia? Well, as far as Tatiana goes, I think under ordinary circumstances, we'd assume that she was, you know, a day player. But they did spend a lot of time talking with her and sort of, you know, the lingering shots showing her discontentment with the situation. So I, I do lean towards the idea that, you know, she will be coming back in some context going forward. 
Um, as far as Sophia goes, I think, you know, very good casting. You know, they didn't cast someone who's, you know, a big imposing uh, you know, person, but someone who has tremendous gravitas, you know, she seems to, you know, quietly exude power when she's sitting there, uh, you know, in, in a way that I think is really important for this character. Um, you know, Sophia is a queen, you know, she has people to do her bidding. She doesn't have to necessarily be a badass, although they did throw in the scene where Alice tries to attack her and Sophia, you know, easily disarms her and demonstrates her own skill as well. Um, I thought the conversation with Alice was really interesting, uh, talking about, you know, how Alice came to be there. And, uh, you know, the idea that she was the only one who ever escaped uh, and, you know, uh, and also, you know, what we found out about the uh, uh, the flower, uh, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, you know, previously, I, I just sort of assumed it was, you know, a, an anti-venom, you know, something that would, you know, counteract all poisons. But what we found out in this episode is it's much more than that. Yes, yes. We'll be talking about that in a moment. But before we get into that. Let's talk about the brand new information. And and I do have to bring in Jacob because I just want to open it up to the floor with with a general question after after I sort of mention all this stuff. So throughout the episode Alice is like Sophia, you killed Kate, this that or the other and Sophia's like why would I do that? You know, why would I leave you a note? You know, why would I call you here if I was going to poison you? And Sophia seems, she's trying her hardest to tell Alice, like, I was not behind this. Clearly someone is trying to make it seem as if I'm behind this. And that's concerning to me. So we should team up and find out who this person is. Alice ends up, um, you know, holding, you know, holding her down. What was it? A pointed shell to her throat. And, and this, that, or the other. And, um... Sophia ends up providing uh, proof that, uh, well, I guess this is, in essence, proof that Kate isn't dead because she has Kate's necklace. And she's like, yeah, you know, I have Kate. I didn't kill her. Um, I didn't blow up the plane, uh, this, that, or the other. uh, But I do have her, and um, you have to do me a favor if you want Kate back. And then in Gotham, so Jacob's storyline, he started. It starts off with him having Kate's phone. He couldn't find the passcode. Uh, Sophie wasn't there to try to help. So throughout the episode, uh, he gets people to help him break into Kate's phone, and uh, he finds a mysterious photo of a painting by Jack Napier that has uh, the word Sophia question mark. Uh, written on it. So, what the hell does this mean? Um, we've been. I feel like we have this conversation every week. We had it last week. We had it the previous week. We won't be having it next week because there is no new episode of Batwoman. But we will probably be having it the following week. What are they doing with Kate? Um, is Kate going to return now that we kind of have sort of confirmation that maybe she's alive? Although, TBH, do we trust Sophia? Uh, it seems like Alice now believes that Kate is alive. A painting by Jack Napier. I feel like anybody out there that knows anything about comics maybe sort of knows what that means. So does that mean we will be seeing a certain jester in the mix? And do we like the idea of that? 
uh, I don't know. Uh, I will open it up to the floor. Any thoughts and theories about what the hell they're doing with Kate Kane and, and this situation and the brand new information that we got in this episode? I like that they're slow playing it, you know, that they're uh, they're giving us dribs and drabs and they're not, you know, they're allowing us to sort of, you know, come up with our own, you know, interpretations of this. Because, yeah, you can be like Alice and just assume Sophia is telling you the truth. But really, what proof was there? She held up a locket. She didn't open the locket or, or show her what was inside. It could just have been a copy of the locket that she was wearing that Sophia had made at any point in the past. There's no reason to assume that Kate is alive, but it is kind of interesting. Um, you know, the idea that, you know, Sophia did kidnap Kate, but Kate's phone was still on the plane. And by the way, you know, that should be, a, a, you know, an ad campaign for whoever built the case around her phone um, survives an airplane crash. Yes. Uh, I don't know. And it, it's interesting. I, I was, you know, listening to an interview with the uh, the showrunner and, you know, going into it, I, you know, once they decided, you know, my first thought was just recast with someone who looks vaguely like Ruby Rose and, and say no more of it. When they announced that they were going to you know, have a new uh, um, uh, Batwoman, you know, I said, well, just, you know, let Ruby Rose's character go and, you know, don't have the shadow hanging over it. But it does sound to me like the uh, the showrunner is at least planning on keeping the idea as a runner for some time. And part of that was, you know, a, you know, a reason that she said that she was aware of the, uh, the trope on TV shows of killing the gays. And she didn't want to do that with... Uh, uh, with Kate Kane's character. Um, so that leads me to suspect she might still be alive. Now, there are ways of dealing with this, of course, like, you know, you know, especially these days, you know, that, you know, she could be held hostage. You could, you know, uh, you maybe get, a, you know, a, an audio message from her or something like that, or, or, you know, back a dump truck full of money up to Ruby Rose's house and get her to record a FaceTime message that would be sent back to the team. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's, I think it's definitely going to be kept uh, vague for the foreseeable future. I don't think we're going to get a resolution to this anytime soon because the, the vagueness of it is what's keeping Alice going. Um, now, that said, if we do, if Alice does carry out Sophia's uh, plan and then finds out that Kate was dead all along, regardless of whether Sophia killed her or not, uh, then I think you're going to have a very dangerous, vengeful Alice. Yes, big time. And I do feel like if we ever see Kate again, it is not going to be Ruby Rose. It will be a recast. So Ruby Rose, do not expect that Brinks truck <laughs> at your house. Uh, the old soap opera trick of, uh, you know, uh, you were in a terrible accident and, uh, you know, uh, you come in looking like hush covered in bandages. And when they come off, it's like, oh, someone who just is vaguely the shape. But then you'd have a situation where, you know, and if they did do that, they'd almost have to bring her back in a wheelchair or something like that, because otherwise you'd have a sort of battle for the cowl situation. True. That is true, which might be interesting to see. What I'm also interested in is finding out Ryan's birth name because if they make it so if they do a storyline where she wants to find her birth parents and what if her birth parents are kind of iconic e uh dc people then maybe in essence because I, I don't i don't like the idea of taking away the bat suit from her either but if she, if they give her the name of someone who's already a hero and she can maybe she'll take on become that mantle. That's another way uh, to sort of so that she becomes her own hero. I don't know. I like her as Batwoman, so let me just say that uh, I, she's doing a fantastic job, and I would love to see her as the Bat 
for the, the rest of the series. Um, Millie, what about you? Your thoughts on everything Kate, what the hell's going on? Uh, are we going to see the Joker? I know that the whole Kate, the dragging out this like tidbits, and the perfect makes a good point where this is what's driving Alice, so they kind of do need to keep it. And I'm wondering if because it, as we as the audience know, so obviously like, you know, maybe they are going to recast it, but in the day we know like the real case not coming back. If it's they're trying to set something up for a really big plot twist, or um, I think more likely it goes inside that I think there's going to be a double cross going on with Sophia because um, it's clear that there's some history between her and Alice and didn't go well. And Sophia's not the most happiest with her, so I feel like she's not going to go through all of this just to kind of like give Alice what she wants at the end of the day. And I kind of do hope they go that route and somehow put to bed this the mystery of Kate and I know we discussed it previously like oh how long is this going to go out and I'm concerned it's going to go out a lot longer than I personally think should be entertaining uh especially now that they have Sophie and Jacob on it and Alice is renewed with it so it'll be interesting um to see how much longer they're going to have this play out in terms of the Joker I hope we don't see him because it's kind of as a press I was always saying like separating them from Batman, kind of use other characters that aren't as well-known. Then again, they did introduce Bruce Wayne way quicker than I probably thought they would, so they could pull our legs in and show it, but I hope they don't. There was more just like an Easter egg teaser. Okay, Professor, you didn't mention that either. Uh, so what are your thoughts? You- Joker? Uh, I don't think so, no. Uh, just given, you know, traditionally, every time, you know, there's always this negotiation over what characters can appear in which DC properties and because the cw is still you know the uh the the redheaded stepchild um i don't think you'll be seeing any any top tier batman villains uh showing up um you know because joker is you know there was the joker movie joker is was in suicide squad uh might be showing up who knows in the new batman movie um i think they'll they'll keep those uh those particular toys away um so i think this was just you know throwing a little fan service easter egg for uh, for those of us who are looking for this level of minute detail although it did take a thousand years he did end up on gotham well kind of okay fine that is true though <laughs> but yeah okay so mm-hmm. go, oh, ahead, sorry, go ahead no go ahead professor but, and, you know we get the victor's asses you know the the tier three villains well there is that so by the end of the episode it's interesting how the dynamics have shifted so we start off the episode with a lot of the characters um well i don't let's say i'll say it like this some of the characters were believing that kate was still alive some of the characters were believing that kate was dead and then by the end of the episode it was almost like you know they swapped positions those that believed that she was dead think that she's alive and those that thought she might still be alive think that she's dead. Um, I, I just wonder how long can they milk this? I know the professor had said that you think it's going to last for a little while. I do as well, but I, I wonder, I worry that this could become a problem. Does anyone else have that sort of fear of trepidation because of, of that? I'm just worried that it's going to be like placed so much in the forefront of the series that it's like some of these characters are just not going to be able to move on if they're getting all this hope that Kate might still be alive. And, and they're kind of dragging out 
any sort of um, acceptance and grief of, of Kate being dead if they don't bring her back. That's why I think she has to come back. Well, I think, you know, uh, I think maybe part of the reason for doing that is so they can explore the impact of Kate's loss on and then you know, her possible redemption on Jacob and, and Sophie, uh, which I think is a bit of a shame uh, because, you know, I've actually liked Sophie so far this season, uh, you know, much more than I did last season when she was just, you know, mooning around and the, uh, you know, the unattainable love object. Um, you know, she's, she's been a lot better this season, I've thought. And, uh, I, I think it would be disappointing for her to go back down, uh, you know, that particular rabbit hole, uh, you know, if Kate came back or if she's just, you know, constantly mooning about, you know, whether Kate is still out there or not. Um, but it, it does seem to me like they're, they're using this as uh, a character motivation for Sophie and, uh, and Jacob, uh, as much as anything else. Um. So, yeah, well, again, from my feeling is from, you know, listening to the interview with the showrunner, it seems like something they're going to be stretching out for a while. I don't necessarily think that's the right play, but, you know, I said, you know, say goodbye to the character in the first episode and, and, and you know, uh, start a new story. Uh, so, you know, clearly I'm not on the right uh, uh, or clearly I'm not on the same side of that as as the showrunners but that mm-hmm. said I've, I've really enjoyed the first three episodes of the season i'm loving uh you know uh ryan as the new batwoman so i mean whatever they do i'm i'm you know i'm on board for it i think you know uh surprise me yeah i'll co-sign with that as well the, the episodes have been fun and ryan has been a great addition to not just the bat team but the cast as well my hope is if if they are doing this if they're exploring maybe jacob and and sophie's guilt about how they treated the bat character and and in essence how they treated kate because now they know that kate was the bat my hope is that this leads to a different dynamic between the crows and batwoman at some point this season we already saw in the previous episode jacob was like you know that's an imposter and this is out of the other so it looks like they're going to go that route which means he's going to double down harder than what he was doing when kate was batwoman but if they somehow fix that dynamic and make it a more supportive dynamic by i don't know at some point this season, I don't want to say by the end of the season, by the midpoint, just at some point this season, I, I think that would lead to um, just a, a better show because I just I don't want a rehash of the Crows versus Batwoman when clearly we have seen time and time and again that the people of Gotham love Batwoman. So I feel like at some point the Crows need to become supportive as well, and then the person that will be able to make that change is Jacob. It's still a very weird situation they set themselves up with, and it, it's something that dates back, you know, to the the first episode, which is the notion of this private police force in Gotham. Because in season one, it seemed like they were just there to protect the rich, mm-hmm. but increasingly they just seem to be the GCPD. You know, they're, you know, they're they're tracking down drug dealers and you know, uh, you know, racing all over town in their black SUVs, and uh, they've got their own SWAT teams, and, and it's like, you know, the the whole crows thing, it, it seems very weird. Um, you know, there's been the, uh, the persistent idea of the crows being, you know, corrupt, which has been, you know, periodically mentioned and then dropped and then mentioned and then dropped. Um, yeah, it just, it's, I think they set up a, a very odd dynamic by having this organization outside of the conventional police and given, you know, changing attitudes toward the police. Um, 
I just hope they're going to go a little deeper on that. I think, you know, particularly with the Black Batwoman now, uh, I think it's it's this is a show that could be dealing with that, perhaps not with the same level of gritty realism as Black Lightning, but I think that could be dealing with this in some way. I like that. Hopefully. We'll see. Yeah, they're, they've dropped so many, like, teeny tiny storylines, potential uh, for the Crows and what's going on and what's really going on within the Crows that they haven't fully explored so uh maybe that'll be something that they do as the season progresses so let's talk about the desert rose flower so i don't know if this is something that they're setting up for the season for the series but we did get a lot more information about the desert rose what it does um, how protective Coriana is about it and, and that sort of thing. And, and the reason why Sophia is protective of this desert rose flower that apparently is, is cultivated and can only be found in Coriana is because it is a miraculous flower. Not only, you know, did it cure... The, or, or it was the, um, I don't know what you would call it, the anti-venom or the anti-poison for uh, the poison that Alice made that, that um, she, I, I think she curated from the Desert Rose or something. I forget how she explained where that poison came from, but um, way back last season. But it cures everything. It cures cancer. It, it was curing everyone's preconditions uh, that had to take it because of uh, the poisonous uh bats from the previous episode and uh, it was um it was it was so important to sophia that she ended up sending victor's as to uh sort of clean things up you know kill a couple of the hamilton people that i guess were a part of developing the cure as well as the person that provided them with the sample which was uh, Mary. Fortunately, Mary did not die. That's how they captured Victor Zaz and thwarted him and all that kind of stuff. But we did learn that it was Sophia behind it. So does this mean we'll be seeing more of this desert rose flower uh, and, and its healing or curing properties? Uh, they did spend a little bit of time with Mary sort of um, really being in awe of what this uh this could do so does does it mean that we might see more of this or was this just sort of a piece of the puzzle for this episode because the previous episode brought it up and uh, sort of dealt with uh, it and, and that sort of thing so we had to follow it up with this episode and this might be all that we get from it or is this something that's going to keep on popping up again? What do we think? I'll open it up to the floor. Well, actually, I'll ask Millie, because we haven't heard from Millie in a moment. I think it's something that's going to keep popping up, because teased it back in season one to save Mary. Um, and Sophia's like, this just seems to be like the reason why she exists. So um, I feel like they wouldn't tease it if it wasn't going to keep coming up. And I also think that because they're protecting it, um, and now that you know, more people know about it, I think more eyeballs, and that might attract more uh, attention to it and to Coriana, so I can see it coming back up as a reason people are looking at Sophia and looking at Coriana and everything like that. Okay, Professor, what about you? Do you co-sign with Millie? Do you think this is going to be something greater, uh, you know, a larger storyline for the season? Or do you think it was just really to wrap things up from the previous episode? 
No, I think it's, it's definitely going to have to play a role because, you know, Sophia's whole purpose is to protect her, her kingdom. And, um, you know, uh, their great resource is keeping this hidden. It's it's a bit analogous to Wakanda and Vibranium, if you think about it. They have this magic thing that everyone would want if they knew about it. But unlike Wakanda, they don't have the tech, seemingly, to protect it. So, you know, secrecy is, uh, is their best form of protection. And what uh, Alice threatened was that secrecy. Um, so I think we'll see more of that. I think it's it's interesting introducing the idea that it's a cure-all. I think this, you know, uh, I don't know why, but I have the feeling that Sophia might be a lot, lot older than she seems. Oh. Um, I don't know that there's anything said in there or just something about, you know, the uh, the scene that made me think that maybe this is, you know, potentially immortality as well. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, they're, I was almost thinking they were setting it up as like an Amazon type thing, but there are men. Uh, on the island, although they did, I didn't see any men in positions of authority. They could just be like slave men or something like that. This is pure headcanon on my part, but something that pissed me off consistently last season was how Alice was able to do her face shit. Uh, and so if one argued that maybe she had a little bit of this uh, from the flower, that uh, that might explain how she was able to, you know, keep the, uh, the, uh, the skin alive and prevent uh, host versus graft disease and stuff like that. So that's pure headcanon on my part. And technically, she didn't get access to the, uh, uh, the antidote uh, until uh, you know, later in the series uh, from the Rifleman. Um, but uh, you know, if, they, if they bring that up as an explanation for how she's able to do that, it's one of those things that's always kind of bugged me about uh, Alice's character. She's basically doing magic without any magic abilities. Well, there is that as well. That's funny. Um, yeah, yeah, I was reading online, uh, they were comparing it to the heart-shaped herb of, uh, Wakanda, which the heart-shaped herb did not cure stuff. I mean, it was in essence what gave the panther his powers, but vibranium, I think, is a much more appropriate, uh, correlation to anything marble and that sort of thing. So, I believe we covered everything. Was there anything that I missed? Any, any, anything, a teeny tiny little moment or any theories that uh, we should discuss before we head into the MVP? Uh, I liked at the opening when, uh, uh, when Ryan makes her, her first entrance and, uh, you know, she, she doesn't stick the landing. And on, as I was watching it, I was thinking to myself that, you know, uh, they did too much with it. I thought it would have been better if she just sort of stumbled a little bit and there was no mention made of it, just sort of showing us that, you know, she's uh, fitting into it. Uh, but by the end of the episode, it's because you realized, as she was saying, you know, the boots are the wrong size and and everything about that. So it was really setting up, I think, effectively. But I did like, you know, um, you know, the fact that, you know, she's not immediately mastering it. I've said before on, on other CW verse shows that I don't like it when someone magically develops all the skills they need. You know, there still has to be, uh, a growing process, whether it's, you know, missing with all those batarangs and then, you know, uh, celebrating prematurely. Um, but uh, as I say, I, I just I really do like how they're they're playing out uh, uh, Ryan, you know, finding her way in this role. And I thought uh, she did a great job in this episode. Luke on the comms when that happened, he's like, oh, that could have been a 10. That was spectacular. And then, uh, you know, she was she was like doing, you know, the typical Batwoman type of retorts to uh, the villain. And then she couldn't think of one. And she was like, Luke, you know, give me a good line. Luke, Luke. And all we see is just Luke sort of like smugly listening and not he doesn't respond. I thought that was brilliant as well. I will also say that the opening scene that introduced us to Victor's ass was hella dark in a spectacular way. And um, I, that I was not expecting 
at all, and I, I really enjoyed it. I will also say him slicing into himself uh, made my entire body <laughs> go into pain, just because I could never, yeah, I, I could never do that myself. I, 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 I was in pain just looking at him do it, and he's not even doing it for real. It's all the magic of Hollywood. Well, Canada. Co-sign on that. That was so gross. <laughs> yeah. And I enjoyed Luke's snark about when he was like, you can go after, Ryan's going to go after Zaz, and you become like the mark above his eyebrow. Oh, yeah, yeah, I thought that was good, too. I also love the shade that he kept on throwing, because she was like, yeah, like, I knew him, you know, we're in the same circles type of stuff, and uh, he was he was hella judging. And I also like the little tidbit that we got about uh, Ryan's ex that Zaz gave us as well. I think also that sort of sets up, you were mentioning the uh, the exchange that not Batwoman had with Zaz, but that Ryan had with Zaz. I think that's an interesting element that uh, that Ryan can bring to the table. Uh, you know, again, part of the uh, the Batman mythos is that, you know, Bruce Wayne had, you know, um, uh, uh, a character called Matches Malone, who was, you know, a low-level criminal, but was known to be a criminal and therefore had all these criminal contacts. And so when you're trying to figure out, well, how does Batman know all this stuff? It's because, you know, he had immersed himself. And, you know, Ryan now has an opportunity to do that in a way that uh, Kate never could have. So I think that is something interesting to play up and possibly the uncomfortableness that Luke might have of, uh, of her dealing with these people could be, uh, could be a source of, of story conflict going forward. Very true. We've seen some of the other CW shows. They, they, they try to get their main character into like the CD world and it doesn't really work. Um, I'm remembering that episode of the flash where he went undercover with a character that will no longer be on the flash. Uh, and that, it, it, I mean, it was, it, they played it for comedy and, and it worked because they were playing it for comedy, but realistically it wouldn't have worked because Barry Allen is so squeaky clean. He, he is, he, um, it, it doesn't make sense for him to be in, you know, embedded in the world and like a criminal syndicate and that kind of thing. But because Ryan does have her past, uh, it, I think it, it seems much more organic and real, and we don't have to see the back character, you know, trying to go undercover and, and you know, and, and, and seem sort of like a fish out of water, whereas Ryan, she has that, uh, that past, and so she can just easily slide back into it and get the intel that she needs without it seeming sort of weird and without the bad people sort of questioning her and, and, and what she's doing, per se. All right, so now it is time for the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again, so choose wisely. Professor, who's your MVP? Well, I mentioned earlier how much I enjoyed uh, the uh, the actor's take on Victor Zaz. Never my favorite character, uh, certainly a C-lister villain as far as I was concerned. But I think, you know, the actor playing him was having so much fun and just you know, really putting his imprint on the character. So for me, uh, Victor Zaz uh, was my MVP, and I do hope we get more of him. And yes, he was a savage-killing murderer, but, you know, he was doing it with style and charm. I like it. Very good choice. Millie, what about you? to give my MVP to Sophia. I think I was very surprised about what we got because she's been teased uh, all of season one and the first couple episodes. And I really like how uh, she has that unexpecting like evilness to her. And so I'm really excited to see um, how her story will unfold down the road. Another fantastic choice. And both of them new characters to the Batwoman 
universe. Uh, fantastic. I will be picking someone that we've given the MVP to before, because uh, he's usually fantastic, and he was in this episode. I'm going to give it to Luke. I was really proud of the character in this episode. He started off extra snarky and extra asshole-y to, to Ryan, especially during the earlier part of this episode and the previous two episodes. But he had immense character growth throughout this episode, and I, I really like that. Uh, I loved his chat with Mary. I loved his apology to Ryan. I loved his acceptance of Ryan by the end of the episode. I really enjoyed Cameras Johnson throughout uh, the entire episode, so I'll give uh, the MVP to Luke. Now it is time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 bat signals? The point system is allowed, and if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may archive the episode in the bat cave. Uh, Millie Wood, how would you rate this? I'd have to give it an 8.6 bat signals. I actually was quite like entertained throughout the whole episode, which n not often the case. Um, and I thought it was really fun. Um, I love the like new characters that we brought in, and there's a lot of interesting plot points that were established that will be interesting to see how it goes out throughout the episode. And it was also fast-paced movement, and there was very little Sophie, so I also appreciate that as well. That's funny. Oddly enough, there was a lot more Sophie than we usually get. <laughs> so I don't know if I agree with the very little Sophie. <laughs> But uh, but I understand what you're saying. So we got an 8.6 from Millie Wood. Professor, what about you? I think 8.6 sounds about right to me as well. I thought it was a very, very enjoyable episode. All right. I like it. I was going to give it an 8.5, but uh, I'll fall in with the peer pressure, and I'll give it an 8.6 too. It, it was an enjoyable episode. Uh, the plot certainly is moving forward, and I really enjoyed it that aspect of it we are we're moving in a particular direction i don't know what direction that is but we are we are moving forward and uh i enjoyed all of the character development that we got in this episode and the bit of pot, plot progression so on that note join us next time for a brand new installment of the gotham city gazette here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us follow poppy chula radio on social media we are on facebook instagram twitter at poppy chula radio do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for the Gotham City Gazette and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with the professor. Good night, Gotham. And Millie Wood. Good night, Gotham. And if you want to follow with me, I'm on Twitter as at the Asian Nerd. Thanks for tuning in. Download. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of the Gotham City Gazette every Tuesday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chula Radio archives. A small programming note, as I teased uh, earlier in the podcast, Batwoman will not be airing next week, so we will return in two weeks with a brand new installment of uh, the Gotham City Gazette. Good night. <laughs>